Hello, my name is Daniel Marino, and this is Motion Martial Arts' third podcast. So I'm here again with my friend Dave Grossman, and a friend and training partner of his, Tony Paterino, is joining us, and we're going to talk about conceptual learning. So Tony, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Tony Paterino. I've been doing jiu-jitsu since March of 2012, been about seven years almost, and uh, I also teach tennis. So I've been doing that a little over a decade. I've been playing that since I was two years old and just love teaching, love everything about it. I love helping people. And it also helps me learn and grow as well, both on and off the mats and the tennis court. Cool. Uh, This is uh, David here. um, And yeah, so I've known Tony for a while. I don't know how long. It's probably the first time we trained together is maybe what, six years ago? Probably. Yeah, six years ago. And uh, right away, I I mean, the cool thing is with martial arts, and I'm sure everybody who's listening trains is, uh, you can kind of non-verbally right away sort of realize maybe if you have like a special connection with somebody in training. And uh, first time we trained together right away, it was like, man, this guy gets it. Um, yeah. I we think, were like twins on the yeah. mats. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, when we, Dan and I were talking about concept-based learning, he was one of the first guys I thought of. And uh, his approach is very much, uh, as an instructor, you know, follows the conceptual learning model. And uh, maybe if you can give us a little bit more of your training history, your rank and stuff like that, and then we can all go into concept-based sure. learning. Yeah, I started under Zach Green. He was a blue belt at the time. Uh, I started, obviously, as a white belt. And I was with him for maybe a year and a half, somewhere around there. I switched. Me and my buddy, Bren, we went over to Steve Bowers in Ardmore. And uh, Steve is a training partner. He's a black belt now and teaches as well, Paul Jackson. So you m- might sound familiar, WMMR. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I've been there, I guess, five, six years, somewhere around there. And... Steve and Paul, they're great guys. I've been uh, training under them and he's helped me so much. And I've actually gotten to teach jiu-jitsu myself. I have a training partner, Simon Hogger, and he's a principal at the school called the Workshop School. Small high school, probably a couple hundred kids in Philly. And he approached me back in 2015 and said, you know, I like the way you help people. I like the way you communicate. You wanna start a after school program? I said, yeah, let's do it. And I've been doing that been teaching there once a week ever since uh i'm gonna say october 2015 so it's been really fulfilling really rewarding to to teach and just like teaching tennis you know that helped my game improve so much you know why because when you teach something and you have to get someone else to understand it it really makes you understand it because your words have you have to say things with such precision because i guess first concept here if you can't explain something to a five-year-old, you don't understand it yourself, uh, right? Yeah. So you yeah. need to use extremely, extremely, I'm gonna, I, I don't like the word basic, I like the word fundamental. Yeah. You have to use fundamental words. If you're saying too many complicated words, do you really yourself understand yeah. it? Well, I mean, you know? it's it be, it being able to boil things down yeah. to like their, their roots, like the simplicity, yes. finding the simplicity behind, underneath complex ideas is difficult. And that, I would agree, is what teaching is all about. Absolutely. Yeah, my instructor, when I, got my black belt when I was 14. It's actually something he kind of always did was that he, and I've been training for about four years at that time. It's how long it takes to get a black belt in my style. And he, um, he always would just start having, you know, the students start to help out the teaching a little bit. And that was, he gave actually the same explanation as to why. They said that in order to teach someone to do something, you have to have a deeper level of understanding Mm -hmm. than what you would need just to be able to perform it yourself. Right? Yeah. And that's how it helps me get better too because sometimes I'll, I'll reword 
I'll come back if I teach it again, I'll reword certain things or rephrase, and I try and get extremely, extremely precise yeah. with my vocabulary. Well, one of, one of the things that we talk about where I teach at a lot is uh, most people don't understand how to teach the kids properly, yeah. and that's a yeah. good barometer of the whole school. And uh, you should teach adults the way you teach kids. Yes. And lots of, in jujitsu in particular, they teach the kids the way they teach the adults. So you end up with the kids that are naturally gifted being right. lots of the yeah. students at the school and the kids that need jujitsu end up not getting it. Yeah. And Makes again, sense. I can't speak so much about other martial arts or other sports, uh, but I think that that happens a lot in sports because people are trying to teach to the highest right. denominator in the room and not the lowest denominator. Right. And the lowest denominator needs some precise words, right? simple things and you know build them up slowly through the fundamentals again right, basic sure. is never a good term for anything I agree yeah with. i never like it should it. also be fundamental or foundational mm -hmm. well people often underestimate kids you underestimate you know kids can understand complex ideas you yeah. know it's just like it's the responsibility is on you as the teacher right to be you know to have a a good enough grasp of the material that you're able to explain it to yeah them. but that's what i've found you know like yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, if someone doesn't understand something, it's my fault. It's not theirs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So I guess maybe a good thing. What, what exactly do you would you define conceptual learning and how would it differ from kind of other ways of teaching or other ways of approaching material? So I haven't really thought too heavy on that question. That's actually a great sure. question. But yeah. the one thing that pops into my mind is I see a lot of teachers teach too technical and they don't teach the concept. Sure. And I am... I teach the concept first uh, because a, a concept can be implied, be applied universally. Yeah. You can put that anywhere. So a technique, it might only just be one little thing, maybe like an ankle lock, yeah. right? You get real tight, put your hips into it, use your whole body. But that right there, the, that's a concept that can be applied yeah. to anything, not okay. just one cool. technique. Yeah. So concepts are universal. Yeah. So I'll explain the concept, whatever it is. So for example, sweeps. For, for any good sweep to work, and I'm still kind of tweaking the way I like to say this, but for the most part, I say for any good sweep to work, you have to take away a post, and then in order to sweep them over, you have to load their weight. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking a little bit more on, on a, a concept that's similar, but still more advanced as you get complicated with your sweeps. And Steve says this a lot, if your hips go above your head, or if you want to think about it, if your head gets lower than your hips, it's easy to dump them over. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of take concepts and apply that to anything. The butterfly sweep, the scissor sweep, take away the post, load their weight. Yeah. And at this point, I can do the butterfly sweep without actually taking away the post. Because once I get them to sit, you stand up with the leg. And even though they're posting, now that I've stood up, their hips are above their head. Cool. And, uh, you know, obviously I credit Steve for, uh, for saying that. I like to think about the shoulders instead of just the head, obviously it's, it's relatively the same. But when I think about the upa from Mount, yeah. I really think about getting the shoulder on the ground. If I can, I'm not just trying to take away their arm post, but I'm actually trying to capture the shoulder as well and hug it real low and tight to me. Because all the upas that I see fail, I have the arm, I have the leg, or anybody, and the shoulder's still up, you still have the posture. So I trap the arm, I trap the leg, but I also get that shoulder down. So when I go to bridge over on this angle here, I don't care how, how heavy you are. The second your shoulder touches the ground, the rest of this bridging and turning action is just going to dump you over light as a feather. Yeah, so uh, some of the non-jujitsu listeners are probably going to be a little bit lost by some of that. Yeah. But, um, you know, uh, 
that's just specific jujitsu techniques and some of those things you can find videos of on YouTube or Google what he's talking about. And you'll be able to find some examples. But um, yeah, I think one of the main points he made is, is the techniques should be reinforcing the idea of the concept and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. If you just give people a bunch of techniques with no sort of understanding of why am I doing this? Like, did I just magically end up in this position? Um, so one of the things that I like to talk about a lot is, um, well, two things is distance management in a fight because that's a concept that's huge. And then you can start to apply the, the idea of distance management to anything involving a combat situation or sparring or tournament or whatever. So what does that mean? So for a fight, where do I want to be? I want to be all the way in or two arms away if I'm, my goal is to grapple. Now, one arm away is for strikers, right? That might be a good thing possibly. And Dan, Dan will speak to that a little bit more. But if I'm one arm away, yeah, I can punch him and kick him, but he can punch and kick me. And as a grappler, that's not my goal. My goal is to stay two arms away, have them chase me, and then step in. And then, yes, I have to shoot for a double leg takedown, a single leg takedown, or get the clinch from the one-arm distance, but then I want to be all the way in. Because from two arms away and all the way in, there's no strikes. And the concept of being managing the distance will help me a lot more than just being like, okay, let's dance around like robots and be one arm away, two arm away, really close, right? I need to understand what those distances are and what's the value of having those distances. And for the jujitsu people, this will probably make a little bit more sense, but this is a conversation Tony and I have had a bunch is uh, oh, yeah. escaping positions and submissions. Um, so I have said this to Tony multiple times. What you're looking for is what can escape first. And usually you're looking at can the hips escape first or the head? And after that, how do I get the rest to follow? And, you know, jujitsu and grappling is so much about head control and hip control. And... You know my escapes got instantly better when you said that because no one's ever said that before. Yeah, either you know, the hips or the head. Yeah, you know instantly that's what you're looking better. for. Like, and you see people yeah. like when they get caught in an arm lock, they hunker down, they grab on tight, and they don't want the arms to get separated. You're you're better off just tapping because you're you're not going to get any value into your training. And again, this is relative jujitsu right now. This is not everything, and it's important to remember that yes, we're a martial arts podcast but what I do is grappling and Dan's going to speak a little bit more about the striking end in a second sure. but uh, yeah it's so much about escaping is that is what can escape first and then you can start to apply that concept to everything and now it starts to apply to controlling somebody and you can use that control maybe to set up your strikes we see clinching in Muay Thai for example what are they aiming to control the head right and the head well if I have good head control Yes, you can start trying to escape your hips away, but if you go to escape your hips with good head control, you're probably going to eat a knee to the face on the way out, right? Sure. And you're yeah. sacrificing your posture. Yeah. yeah. A lot of striking martial arts and use grappling to facilitate striking. Basically, grab Muay Thai, perfect example. You know, clinch work in Muay Thai, you know, to try to get those strikes in there. But the, um, so I guess the basic idea is that you know, concepts can take you so much farther. Oh, than so much farther. So Absolutely. You get, and not just kids, of course, but for any student. It's just like if you can get to the point, all of us here are teachers. You know, you know, I can, mm. We can make our, a student understand the concept behind you know, this technique. Right. And of course, it's universal to a lot of other techniques. If they understand that, they'll be able to take that and apply it to so many things that they're going to learn to do. And not only that, we need our students to be able to think critically. If you just teach technique, they're not understanding the value of doing it. And then they just do it mindlessly and they, they can't adapt, they can't be dynamic, and they hit that wall. Yeah. But concepts, not only can they think for themselves, 
but when you do teach a technique to show why the concept works, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Sure. Uh, unless someone understands the why of doing some tech, something specific, some sort of technique, they're either going to forget or not place enough value in doing it either properly or doing it at all. Yeah. They have to know the why. Cool. And if you know the why, then, then you can start getting real creative and, and think critically, yeah. come up with your own setups and strategies. Yeah, and you know, it's even to be able to just you know, kind of react to things in sparring and be able, yeah, and be able to you know, create new techniques you know, like yeah. as you go. That was all conceptually based. Can so, we actually, uh, for a second, go back to the distance management thing real sure, quick? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I think it would be cool for you, from a striking perspective, talking a little bit about distance management and yeah, that concept. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about. I mean, sparring, you know, fight in general is all about being able to manage that distance. That you know, from a striking perspective, I'm coming from a karate background, so it might be different. Some other martial arts, specifically a karate background, where I did a lot of point fighting. You know, as I was growing up, and did. Um, and into my early 20s, I was competing a lot with point fighting, but not something I do much anymore. But it was, with point fighting specifically, you know, all you're trying to do is get that hit. And the fight is broken up, and you know, Italian, you're trying, to do the, you're trying to get as many points as you can within a time period. That's the competition format. So what you're often trying to do is you're trying to stay outside of that range where you guys can strike each other. And then you're trying to cover that distance you know, in a way that you have, that you get to jump on your opponent. You're able to strike them, get that point before they strike you. And so it's all about being able to manage that, having a feel for that fine-tuned you know, kind of control of distance and being able to have the timing to cover the distance at the right time. But you know, there's no, I think the way my instructor always used to put it was from a striking perspective, I mean like distance and time are the same thing when you fight. Because you have to, you're covering distance, you know, when you, when you fight, when you come in to get a strike. So it's literally like the, that's there's no difference between the space between you and your opponent and the time it's going to take for you to get there. So, well, that that statement was awesome, and just you know, yeah. this is the cool thing about everything we're doing right now is like I never have even thought about that thought yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. That's a concept yeah. right there that's huge, and so much about you know hitting a sweep. Which is something we're talking about. It's about the timing too. Oh yeah. Right. So like we're we're connecting everything and precision uh, and timing, the power and speed. Yeah, you know, Absolutely. like um, and again, that's the cool thing with concepts is that you know we're talking about two different martial arts, and I hope in a second you can kind of just to wrap everything up we've been talking about. Maybe talk about the idea of maybe distance management involving uh, tennis. You know. Yeah, because that's probably something that matters as far as and again, I've never played tennis a day in my life, but I envision that there has to be a distance management because you have to have an idea of the ball coming to you and where you want to hit it and all yeah. those things. So basically, when if we're talking about striking the ball, distance management is huge because you need full extension of your arm on contact. You want to be relatively straight, not robotically stiff, but relatively straight. That way, you can extend your not only your shoulder through the ball for the control but you can get your whole body forward as well, and that gives natural energy into your shot. If you get jammed up in any way, the only thing you can really use is your wrist, and, and you lose so much leverage. Mm -hmm. So distance management is huge in terms of striking the ball. Sure. But also distance management in terms of where you are on the court, person to person, and that's more of a positional thing. Mm -hmm. So you kind of touched upon it with distance management. You're, you're both kind of at the same range, and you have to find a way in, yeah. right? So that's a huge concept and I think a, a concept is the neutral position how to win the neutral position yeah. and that you can apply to any sport sure. like two tennis players both behind the baseline trying to get into the net because that's the dominant position yeah. right uh, you trying to 
come in close and apply your game, yeah. striking, yeah. us trying to advance our position. But how? Because especially when you go up against somebody who knows what they're doing and knows what you're trying to do, you have to get creative and dynamic enough to start forcing them to respond or react to what you're doing, and then that'll create a, a hole or an opening. Yeah. There's no way to cover everything all the time. Something will be open when you react in a certain way. Yeah. So that's why you use the right. I'm assuming I'm not a striker. Uh, no, but you absolutely. use the jab to set yeah. up something else, right? Use sure. a kick to set yeah, up that, something else. That definitely is a good example. I'd say the universal concept. And yeah, that's going to apply to not only the martial arts, at least the tennis, sports, mm -hmm. any like anything human movement kind of in competition involves a concept that's going to be very specific. Maybe to striking, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, it's actually well, the first one that I teach my students, I try to explain this to kids as young as you know, five years old, is mass times acceleration, you know, the equation for force. It's yeah. like that is the yeah. fundamental concept behind all striking. Absolutely. And I try, and it's something that kids, young kids can understand that. And again, where we're talking yeah. about being able to explain it in the proper language that yes. helps them grasp it is, the, is, is my job as a teacher. But I tell kids, you know, your mass is your body weight. Acceleration is specifically, you know, it's yeah, it probably, you know, to especially for the kids, they can just think of it as speed. But you know, the, the, I think the technical term of acceleration is an okay. increase in speed. Yes. Right. So, in order to generate the maximum amount of force with a strike, you have to get as much of your body weight moving as quickly as possible in the direction that you want that the strike is go is traveling. Yes. And so, you know, right there, no matter what technique I'm using to strike something, like. The equation for force applies 100. percent You yeah, need to have your body weight behind it, and you have to be, and you have to accelerate it to, mm -hmm. to generate that power. Absolutely, it's yeah. the same thing in tennis. They say, yeah. "How do I get more power?" And don't get me started on, <laughs> on trying to get people to stop getting more power because power is a consequence of, of timing and technique. It shouldn't yeah. be the goal itself. Yeah. But that's the different subject. I say the same thing: mass equals mass times acceleration, right? Yeah. So it's uh, increased swing speed and yeah. increased weight transfer. It's those two things. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yep, and you know, for most martial arts, there's a lot of different ways to get your weight behind something, but generally turning the hips, I'd say, is the most universal way. It's all in the hips. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You move, you know, the center of your body is what you want to be the driving engine for that, to get yeah. your weight behind it. And kind of to tie it almost back up to what we were talking about earlier, when I was talking about the distance management part of being a grappler in a fight situation, Relative to your punch, how do I take away the power? By being all the way in. Absolutely. If I'm all the way yep. out, two-arm distance, well, yeah, neither of us can hit each other. But if I'm all the way in, in, in on your legs for a double-leg takedown or I'm in sure. the clinch, yeah. you can generate the forward or the backwards momentum, right? But yeah. I've choked your power coming forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you, so, yeah, you, from a grappler's perspective, yeah. so right, you, get, you get me into a clinch <laughs> like that. I no longer... You know, you're preventing me from moving my mass behind yeah. the strike. You're preventing me from getting much acceleration behind it. So I mean, that's you know the whole you know grappler versus striker type thing is that you're able to get in there and prevent them from 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 in, using in, that equation theory, mass times acceleration. You know, that's I'm sure. Of course, yeah, in theory, because yeah. and and I think we're gonna wrap it up after this. But again, going back to the concept we were talking about, distance management. So whoever controls the distance management best is probably going to win. Sure. And it doesn't matter, again, if it's a striker versus striker, grappler versus grappler, a tennis match, uh, a fight, an MMA match. Yeah. You see that over and over again, right? George St. Pierre by no means was a great wrestler if he just had to go wrestle. But in MMA wrestling, he was great. Yeah. He was initially a striker, and he figured out how to manage the distance to shoot him for double legs properly. Yeah. So he would just time it, time it, time it. They'd step forward to throw a punch. They'd rotate their hips. Boom, he'd blast right through them. 
over and over and over again. People knew it was coming. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody knew what he was going to do. He did it for years. Yeah. And they couldn't stop it because, you know, his precision and timing was so great and he just knew what he was doing and he managed the distance so well that people just kept on making the same mistake. He was funneling them into making that mistake over and over and over again, no matter who the opponent was. Cool. All right, well, belt wraps it up. Cool. All right, well, thanks a lot for joining yeah, us. thank yeah, you. Really cool conversation. Appreciate it, <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, pleasure. All right, cool. Well, uh, until- yeah, Tony, you want to say anything else before we uh, wrap it up? Anywhere that people can find you, possibly, or anything like that, if they want to look you up for tennis lessons or jujitsu lessons. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> I guess you can look me up on Facebook, Tony Michael Paterino, if you like, P A T A R I N O. I'm not too tech savvy. I don't have all the Twitter and stuff. That's it. But uh, you, can, you can look me up there and offer jujitsu lessons and I offer tennis lessons. So if you like, I'm here. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Next, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Until next time. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. Our next episode is going to be on training for self-defense and how it differs for training for sport or health and fitness or any of the many reasons that people take up martial arts. So expect that one in the next couple of weeks. Thanks.